Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we bring back longtime friend of the program, marriage and family therapist, Carissa Woodwike. Carissa is going to join us to talk about uh, something that is uh, near and dear to every connected parenting, gentle parenting, uh, conscious parenting, attachment-centered parenting parent's heart, and that is repairing what we have ruptured with our kids. As you might know, and as you have seen in the show notes, if you've read them today, uh, this principle obviously does not just apply to our kids. It applies to everybody. Any relationship we have, um, we as humans sometimes rupture things within those relationships, and it is our job, our duty um, in, within relationship to repair those ruptures. So what does that need to look like, and how does that uh, oscillate between um, an adult and a child? How do we repair with a spouse or partner versus um, a son or daughter? How do we repair with a friend versus a family member? We're going to talk through uh, several of the different nuances there with Carissa today. And I just encourage you to dig in here because this is one of the most fundamental episodes that we have um, ever recorded when it comes to how to parent uh, from an attachment-centered mindset. So I would say um, as we dive in today, just have some notes ready, have a, have a uh, notes app in your phone open, whatever you need to take a few notes um, and keep a practical reminder nearby for how to repair what we've ruptured with our people. So without any further ado, here is our good friend, Carissa Woodwike. Well, all right, Carissa Woodwike is back with us this week, as is Tana Ottinger, and we are um, going to talk about rupture and repair within relationship today. Now, um, for a lot of us listening, uh, this is a new principle for us. Um, you may have grown up the way that, uh, honestly, most of us grew up, where uh, within a a parental or a caregiver and child relationship, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, formal repair done. Uh, hopefully that's not the case, but if that was the case for you, uh, we've got you covered today. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, Carissa, first of all, thanks for being back with us. And, and second, let's, why don't we start with, um, with talking about what rupture is and defining it? Because obviously within a, within relationship, um, we can't, expect to take anyone that we're leading with us further than we've gone ourselves. And so uh, this, this whole process of rupture and repair starts with, with us and our own selves. So why don't we define uh, rupture and talk about how that comes about before we even start talking about repair. Is that okay with you? Sounds great. <laughs> well, happy to be here with you today, Carissa. Yay, we get to do this again. I'm so thankful. Let's do it. Let's do it, We friend. can talk forever about all the things. So <laughs> as I've been thinking about repair after a rupture, um, it, it's, it's, it's so big because I think we actually have ruptures so often. And if I was just going to give my gut definition of what rupture is, it's when something doesn't go the way we hoped in a relationship. And so it creates something hard between us and within us. So let's just start at the ground level of that understanding of rupture. And then just looking at repair, just fast forward a minute. The repair is something that comes after a rupture in a relationship. And I'm going to even say in a system or structure and even in our environment. So I know we're going to focus on relationship today, but we actually have rupture 
and repair that's needed in our systems here in our culture in America and even with our environment. But when we talk about repair after a rupture in relationships, we usually talk about things like conflict resolution, fixing what's wrong, apologizing, forgiving, and all those are really good and needed pieces in the process. But I want to just talk a little bit about what I've learned in my front row seat of the human heart as a therapist. So I would generally say everyone has had experience with rupture because everyone has experienced tension or conflict or hurt or harm or betrayal or rejection or suffering because Mm. of someone else's actions or inaction. And we have actually also caused rupture. But very few have experienced true repair and restoration. So for many of us, because we haven't had a lot of experience repairing or being repaired with, our brains literally don't have practice not only knowing how to repair, but also little practice in feeling repaired with. Oh, yeah. And so we turn away from one another instead of toward one another and continue what I'm going to call a rupture resentment cycle rather than a rupture repair cycle. Mm. Rupture resentment cycle. Come on now. Bring it to me. What is that? (laughs) I don't have any resentment, Chris. I don't know what you're talking about now. I don't know why you're getting so up in my house. But what do you mean resentment? I'm like sweating. Chris, I'm like sweating. What you talking about? I do think for some of us, resentment comes easier, but then I'm just (laughs) going to be funny and say that the the rest of the world just numbs out. We actually Uh, keep feeling, but I think it's really easy to numb out because what we want is for all the hard that comes with a rupture to go away. Yeah. We just want it to go away so we can feel good again. Right? So it's understandable because we're human, we just want all that hard to go away. But what happens if we just get the hard to go away, nothing good comes from that rupture. And I think we believe there is something because of the rupture that can happen that would never have happened without the rupture. Mm. So, yes, I I will say for certain, absolutely. I mean, even just like on super practical since I think about relationships, you know, whether that's friendships, you know, my spouse, my children, we do sort of intrinsically know that when we walk through a rupture, not if, but when, because we will, yes, and we work through that repair, we are deeper and more connected, yeah, and there's more trust and there's more sense of being known on the other side of repair. It is just how we're biologically wired. Like there's something really beautiful and connected about walking through repair. So I guess if I'm hearing you correctly, if the repair doesn't happen, the opposite can be true, right? There can be a lack of connection, more distance created, more harm done with no repair. Is that that where you're taking us? For sure. For yeah. sure. Resentment cycle? Yes. Which, right, unresolved conflict creates unresolved anger, which creates resentment. If we don't address the mad, 
underneath what I would say sad that something happened in that relationship that we didn't want to happen. I do think that we can go to resentment so quickly. So mm-hmm. with my kids, mm-hmm. I've tried to explain it this way. When one or both of us does or says something hurtful or harmful to the other person, something uncomfortable and unwanted gets dumped between us and makes us feel distant and farther apart from one another. Mm -hmm. So I try to focus on the action, right? The thing that happened, not the person in an attempt to stay away from making the person be bad or the thing that needs to be fixed and allowing the action to be what we can change or modify or even get rid of. And so, so because we actually care about and for one another and our relationship with them, we do the hard, uncomfortable, vulnerable, and courageous work of repair, of apologizing and forgiving and letting go so that we can feel close and connected again, so that we can start over, so that we can learn from our mistakes, and so that we can practice and literally make progress. Mm-hmm. So here's the really tricky, often missing piece when we talk about repair. And we talked a little bit about this last time when I was on. Repair requires first allowing the reality that the rupture has happened. Yeah. We don't want to admit that we've made a mistake mm. or that someone else has made a mistake mm. that has hurt us. Yeah. Oh, that's so hard if we actually allow the rupture to be true. And again, thinking of our relationships with our partners and our kids, thinking about the systemic issues of our day in our country, in our environment, right? We don't, I just had a conversation with a friend about racism in our country and she with tears was like, I guess what you're saying has happened to people of color. I don't want it to be true. Yeah. And so We have to allow it to be true, which I would call, in short, acceptance that the rupture has happened. And that then, here's another hard part, and that that rupture has actually affected us and the other person or group of people, Mm -hmm. rather than defending or denying or dismissing or diminishing what went wrong, which then requires honesty, and empathy. And then after naming what went wrong and owning what we did wrong and the impact of that choice on the other person, we get to move forward and not stay stuck in our shame or guilt or resentment or criticism or even losing the person and our relationship with her or him. And then it's then when we can restore the relationship allowing what happens in us and in that process to rebuild closeness and connection with one another and actually initiate something new that wouldn't have existed if we hadn't gone through the rupture, which IE, I would call that redemption. So it's really less about preventing a rupture, even though it is, but it's less about preventing a rupture and more about repairing what's been ruptured right? Mm. Beauty comes from ashes. Redemption comes from brokenness. And we can't experience the beauty of intimacy and connection if we haven't had the experience of brokenness and disconnection. 
So that in spite of versus because of, so it's because of the brokenness that we get to create and see and live in and out of the beauty. I mean, I think so much about what you're saying, like it, it just rings so true to me that if it weren't for the pull to relationship and connection, we do want to run from the truth of rupture right? Like yeah. that's whatever happens. I think we're all just so wired uniquely. Like there are things in us that are going to build a wall or going to cause us to retreat or going to cause us to lash out or shut down or pull towards apathy or resentment or whatever yeah. in the midst of the rupture. But the, the draw of connection, yeah. the draw yeah. of relationship is what motivates us to walk through repair, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if not that, why? I mean, if not if not this deep innate pull to connection, why in the world would we suffer through the honesty that's required to repair in a way that actually does bring healing? Well, and I think what's really hard in that, at least in my experience, my own personal experience with my clients, with friends, because again we haven't had the repair with people we care about, we actually can learn to not care. And so if I can stop caring about that person and my relationship, then I don't have to do the hard work of repairing, right? And so there's a lot of adults, a lot of kids that have learned early on, this person doesn't think I'm valuable enough to care about the repair we have with each other. And so I've got to learn as a defense, protective coping mechanism, not to care either. Okay, let me, let me drill down on that a little bit because I think as I'm thinking through my own story, um, a big part of that is me learning to do that with my own emotions myself, right? Me learning to ignore uh, or, or just to repel uh, difficult emotions, hard emotions, and... Uh, I'm definitely in the category of not wanting to admit rupture has happened more so than like, I'm quick to admit when I've ruptured with somebody um, Mm. because I I feel like I can quickly acknowledge it and try to like run back into harmony with that person. Um, But admitting I've been hurt or, uh, or sitting with that is incredibly difficult for me. So I think one of the things that's come as a result of kind of being in this like connected parenting world has been a deeper connection with um, acknowledging hurt and then um, being able to to seek out the repair that I need, you know, internally first. Can we talk more about, obviously within all these processes, if we are not resolved ourselves with what mm-hmm. happened before we even attempt to talk to somebody else, it's kind of futile to do that. Can we talk more about, and I know Tana, you had some thoughts on this, particularly, would you mind talking about what that looks like for us to start to reconcile with ourselves first before reaching out through relationship? One of the things I was just wondering about, and I'd love to hear, you know, Chrissy, your thoughts, but I mean, I think whenever, I don't know, you know, Mo, that's my husband and I laugh about when we first got married, like the words, I'm sorry, I don't know, they are like 
they were like impossible for my, I just, <laughs> I don't think my mouth knew how to like formulate those words. I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, just like the simple acknowledgement. I don't know why it was so painful. Was it a lack of practice? I don't know, Chris. So we could probably talk about that off air for like a really, really long time. But like just the articulation of that, I am sorry, yeah. um, was really painful. Thankfully, I have been practicing. We've been married a long time. I've been parent. We've been parenting a long time. Like I've had, you know, deep relationships up in my house where I've had to sort of face myself with a lot of like brutal honesty. Yeah. But I think, you know, that that's where it's probably why I'm so passionate about just talking to other parents or people in relationship. Like you don't have to go down a shame spiral yeah. to just sort of see yourself as a human and like show yourself some compassion in just simply being a human. And so I wonder how much of whatever's happening internally is what is keeping us from being able to repair in a way that really restores relationship like this? You know, what's going on there? Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I had a friend recently ask, what does repair look like if the other person Mm. doesn't decide to engage in the repair process? And so kind of as I was thinking about that um, and, and connected to what you're saying, I mean, kind of my question was, as I was thinking through this was, what if the other person doesn't engage in the rupture repair process, right? So this is the hard part. When the other person doesn't do his or her part, how do we repair then, right? So I've thought of instantly two things I hate about repair, <laughs> uh-huh. Two things I learned in my counseling education that I still hate to this day. <laughs> Number one, we can't force anyone to do uh-huh. her or his part. Yeah. And two, we literally don't have the ability to fix or change anyone. Yeah. Which yeah. besides that, just oh, that sucks. Mm-hmm. 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 But the good news is that we do have the ability to initiate change within ourselves, which causes me to immediately respond as an Enneagram one with, that's so not fair. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> this isn't about repair. Or this isn't about fair. This is about repair, right? Yeah, it's good. So, When we have experienced a rupture and have allowed ourselves to be impacted by that rupture, Mm -hmm. step one, we can move into naming what it stirs and activates and agitates inside of us, Hmm. which is usually always uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable because we're feeling disappointed, right? That things didn't go the way that we had hoped. So for many of us, I think it's hard to name that we actually feel disappointed, but even more so, it's harder to name that we have disappointed Yeah, because it's way easier to blame or sink into shame. But if we allow all of the hard to be true, we actually can do something with it. So... For those who haven't had the other person or let even say a group, the group of people do their part in repairing in the relationship, the invitation is always to repair with ourselves. 
And I think that kind of sounds weird, Hmm. but again, if we don't offer ourselves forgiveness and compassion and a chance to start over, it will be super hard to offer that to someone else. And then we individually and collectively perpetuate that Mm. uh, rupture resentment cycle to ourselves and with one another. Okay. So I have a question. I have a thought. Tell me if I'm on the right track. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm off in in left base. But when I think about not being, this is a big one for me. We can talk about the Enneagram, you and I on some other podcast series. But yes. So for those who are familiar with the Enneagram and they're listening, if you're not, it's okay. You're not going to be left out. But I'm an eight. So sort of... um, you know, I kind of want to come up against something. So let's just play this scenario out for a minute and, and see if I'm sort of thinking about this in the way that you're presenting it. If I am in a situation I'm trying to repair with somebody, and we just talked about like the beauty of repair is connectedness and relationship and, you know, healing or restoration, and they are not receiving that from me, then it's about my expectation for what am mm. I hoping for Yes. In the repair. If I can reset my expectation. Yes. The connection may not happen with them. Yes. But it can happen with myself. Yes. Sort of, you know what I mean, Carissa? Like if I can think about, oh, this isn't so much about fixing what's going on between the two of us. Yeah. But it's becoming more connected to myself and more aware with my of myself. And and experiencing sort of some wholeness, yeah, and self awareness. Like I can and control that to some extent. If I can't control some. Yeah, I need to get, give me some hope, Chris, that there's something yes. I can control. Yeah. I think that's yeah. what I'm asking for. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to control here. I can control my own self. Well, right? I think that what you're saying again is what we haven't taught. Been taught is who has ever heard Tana. You are worth reconnecting with yourself. Right. You are worth repairing with yourself. Because of that lack of control to make the other person do or say what we think is going to feel better. And I would even say, because I've had some my own experiences with this, I have had a few people say the things that were, quote, the right things to say. And it still didn't take me to the place I think I needed to go. So it didn't create healing in me because they said what they were supposed to say. It sure helps. It sure helps our relationship. It helps me feel better. It helps me believe that we can go forward and move on. But if I don't do the internal work myself in order to, I'm going to even say, forgive and release that person then we're going to stay stuck in that cycle. So I thought about if we want to have just a little, you know, I like these linear um, bullet points and I know that life doesn't work that way. But when I was thinking about the ruptures that I've had and I've had a lot, um, kind of if I could, if I could try to simplify and clarify this for people just in a, in in a somewhat loose structure um, and sequence. So, when we think about repairing with ourselves, number one, to ask ourselves these questions. What did I say or do that caused the other person to feel badly, to feel hurt or harmed? Right? There's the ownership. Can I just sit and name 
what I did or said Mm -hmm. that contributed to the rupture. Two, just as important, what did the other person do or say that caused me to feel badly or hurt or harmed, right? This is a two-way street to get to this rupture. So just naming it. Now, we don't always have to name that to the person, (laughs) even though that's fun. But, right, this is our own self-reflection time. So what did I do or say? What was said or done to me? Three, what was going on inside of me to actually do or say those hurtful things? And again, just to name some, it could be as simple as like when we think of our kids, I felt tired, hungry, I was stressed, I felt rejected, dismissed, wrongly accused, criticized, blamed, betrayed, powerless, misunderstood, inferior, like Mm -hmm. I failed, right? Those are all understandable reasons why we lashed out and said something hurtful or harmful, right? There's a ton more, but just to name a few. So because I can name where that came from in me, Mm-hmm. I know that's going to be really helpful with our kids or even our partners, or our friends to ask what was going on inside of you, right? That thing mm-hmm. that Tina talked about last time, yep. what was going on inside both of us to get to that place of rupture? And then after we kind of name that, what is it that I'm now sitting with and feeling? I actually kind of went through the Enneagram numbers mm-hmm. and, and kind of pulled out what I think that could be easily for not according to the number, but okay. So what, what am I sitting in? What feelings am I sitting in after I name all that? I could be feeling guilty, justified, embarrassed, weak, wrong, confused, resentful, like a failure, deceived or scared. So now I'm sitting in the impact of that rupture on me, my contribution, their contribution coming together. And now I'm sitting with feeling what often for me as a type one, it can be, it must've been my fault because I did something bad or wrong to cause this rupture. But right. I can say for one of my kids, it's, I'm left feeling weak and powerless because this kid is a strong kid who can force themselves through hard, (laughs) right? So to actually be impacted by the rupture means I actually feel weak and powerless. Mm -hmm. But for my other kiddo, it's embarrassed. The moment they feel embarrassed, they go to shame. So sitting with the result of all that and the feelings And then we talked about this last time, giving ourselves permission to have made a mistake, to feel disappointed with yourself and or the other person, and to feel all the things, all the feelings. Then I think we've got to learn what to do with all that, right? So we don't want to wallow in our hard feelings, but we we do get to name them and give them time, right? We can't. can't. Well, I can't, I can't, I was teasing. I mean, well, I'm kind of teasing. Sometimes I just want to have a hot minute to wallow. (laughs) Okay. So this next, this next piece, I do think you get to wallow a little bit. So here, here's what I think then we can do with our feelings. 
we can write or journal, right? So there's the wallowing right there in your journal. Get all that's inside out. We can go for, so for some people, not necessarily me, but we can go for a run or a walk. And literally, right? This moving our body so helps us with those emotions moving through us. Sometimes, and this is more my style, we can verbally process with a safe person, right? I can tell, Atana, I did this to you the other week, right? I literally processed through a really hard experience. But for sure, as we do that, or after we do that, we sit and breathe. And here's, I think, one of the most beautiful things that we can do with ourselves. As we relax our body and our brain and breathe and recenter and reground ourselves, right? On our sofa, on our bed, in our favorite chair, or even outside. Basically, what is happening? We are returning to us. We're refinding us. We are reconnecting with us because none of the hard takes away any of the good in that relationship or inside of you. So Mm -hmm. what we can do is return to goodness Mm -hmm. in that other person. Can I believe that that person is still good, whether I'm getting from them Mm. what I want or not. Oh, but how connected that is. Do I believe that who I am is good and valuable and worthy Mm. in the midst of me making a mistake? Mm. Oh, so this is where the self-compassion, which we probably could have gone on in our last podcast, comes in. Self-compassion enters in and shows us the gift in all of this. So I like to say compassion, Mm -hmm. like just imagine compassion as a person. And I do think of compassion as a she. But this is where compassion gets to tell us what our brain and body and heart need to hear. Self-compassion can be literally like a person we kind of create in our imagination. Mm -hmm. It can be Jesus. It can be represented by your sweetest, kindest, most gentle friend. It can be a mentor. It can be whoever you can imagine to be the kindest, most gentlest person. And here's what the invitation I think is. What would compassion say to us? as we listen to that voice. And I guarantee that voice, whether it's compassion itself or a friend, mentor, or Jesus, I guarantee you it's going to be a gentle and gracious and true voice who speaks with simplicity and clarity about what happened and about who you are. And in this process of repairing with yourself, We are literally doing what we're teaching our kids and practicing with our kids. We are starting over. We are forgiving ourselves. We're letting ourselves off the hook and we get to try again and again and again and again. Oh, that's so good. I mean, even what you just said about modeling it. I mean, we, you know, I think sometimes when we think about repair, if we just think about it with our kids, I mean, I think there, I mean, there is some instruction, but it really is about modeling. Yeah. It's about how to go in and, you know, set some things right. Um, And if we cannot hear compassion to ourselves, I do think that we freeze or run away from that, or we don't, we don't step towards whatever we need to do in a relationship. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so good. So it's, I think repair is sending the message that you and my relationship with you are valuable enough to do this hard work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, so hard. So (laughs) unfortunately, you know, we may not get from others what we give to others, but repair Mm -hmm. isn't always fair, right? Forgiveness isn't always fair. Mercy is not fair. Grace is not fair. But it's focusing, I think, as we think about repair, instead of just like getting rid of the hard or the bad or the wrong, it is that message of value. You are valuable. You are worth restoring what's been broken and hurt and harmed. And sometimes that gets to be between two people or a group of people, but all the time it gets to be within us. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the gift is. Oh. Well, I'm I'm thinking about as we are as we're starting to master this this self-work that we're going to be doing and we we begin to try to bring that into relationship with somebody else. Um you know, we've talked about sort of the framework for that. I wonder if from both of y'all, there aren't some pre- I'm sorry, you probably hear the Goofy movie in the background right now. Um, I've got a three-year-old co-host in the room with me. Um, Sweet baby. Um, if you can think about what are some practicalities for us as we begin to, to try to repair with somebody else. Um, if you've ever been apologized uh, to in a really bad way, you know where I'm going with this. But uh, can we talk about some practical ways that we need to both um, repair with other people and, and kind of what we can call other people into in repairing with us? Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind um, from the kids, young, young on, because repair was something that I, I really want to, to bring into the way that we parented that was different from the way that we were parented. And so uh, sometimes, I mean, with enough practice, this still doesn't happen every time, but a lot of times my kids actually initiate the repair because we've talked about it so much. Like, mom, can we repair and right, the response, hopefully, from parents is always, but. Yeah. Always, I want to repair with you. Now, sometimes, because of either the kid's age or development, they won't or can't come to us and ask for that repair. So I do think we can, as parents, initiate that. And I don't think that's wrong, right? In our fair world, we're like, you're the one who messed up. You come to me and repair. Right, right. But. I don't think it's, I, I, I often say after enough time has passed and we haven't repaired, hey, I'd really like for us to repair, right? Or when you're ready, I'd love for us to repair. So I'm initiating the conversation, but still allowing them to own that process and to say what they need to say. But I do think we can initiate it even with a friend, hey, I just want you to know, I keep thinking about the hard thing that's happened between us. And I just want to remind you that I respect our relationship and you enough to repair. So when you're ready, right? But 
I can easily think of a situation where I did that hard work for months, gave her space, gave her time. And she came back when we had a date on the calendar and said, it's just making me too nervous to think about talking. And so I'm just going to hope that time makes things better. So again, we don't always get that person to do their work, right? But at least I feel like my responsibility is to initiate the desire for repair. Yeah, that's that's really good. Tana, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think I really appreciate what Krista just said. You know, we are just in the context of parenting, you know, we have a pretty uh, wide scope of ages. You know, our oldest is young adult down to sort of middle elementary um, and I do laugh with Mo. I mean, we get we get the opportunity to repair, you know, multiple yeah. times a day. And so um, some of what happened um, for us is, you know, through that relationship, learning how to respect and respond to people individually when it comes yeah. to repair. Yeah. You know, different different, I'll just use our, you know, different kids, you know, all, I would say humans in general, but just need repair in different ways. Yes. And so yeah. how can you model respect and show respect and how both you repair and what your expectations are for what repair looks like? Mm, yeah. So I'll think about, you know, in parenting, the idea of scaffolding, like that skills build with development or practice or resiliency that you might start one way. And we talked a little bit about scaffolding in the episode with Robin. Yeah, yeah. But like that things, you build skills based on incremental development, if you will. And so I do think it's important, just when we're talking about modeling repair with our kids or receiving repair with young children or even older teenagers, allowing there to be some scaffolding and how mm. repair happens I think does show a bit of respect. So for example, um, let's think about maybe there's been a scuffle between siblings and you've got a kiddo that you know might be feeling empathy or remorse. So it's genuine, like what's yeah. happened is genuine. Yes. But the the act of articulating some manufactured script that you have on how an apology should look Like you were told to say, you know, I'm sorry I did this. Will you please forgive me? And that was repair in your mind. Maybe for this kid, it's action-based. It is they're going to go and get an ice pack for their sibling or get a Band-Aid or, you know, do something kind. And so allowing, and that's what they are able to do at that time. Yes. Like respecting that that is sincere. And so allowing repairs to be, like meaningful and not just a transaction, not some script that we've sort of yeah. manufactured as the right way to repair. Um, I, I, that's what I think about. And so for even allowing how we initiate the repair that we need to do based on how we've hurt or wounded, to be genuine mm. means it can be different, yeah. right? It can be different with kid A than it is with kid B because that relationship is different and the recipient's different. What I did is different. And so for it to be organic and, and meaningful, um, I think is important. And just respect where people are. Are you, are you almost saying, Tana, to, you know, we talk about mirroring, mirroring a lot. Are you almost yeah. saying like mirror the repair process that is meaningful to your kids and that too, 
So let's say, right. Let's say that the, the doing acts of kindness is one way that they're trying to say, I'm sorry. And that maybe with Mm -hmm. that kid, even that is part of our repair with them too, that we do acts of kindness for them. And then maybe at some point, right? I mean, I just imagine watching my kid do that act of kindness and saying, hey, I'm just so curious. Is this one of the ways that you're trying to say I'm sorry to your brother or sister? Right? Just Mm -hmm. so they can even have the language of what they are doing, even though it's coming Mm -hmm. out in a very different way than just saying I'm sorry. Yeah. So so even saying like, you know, this happened you know, what do you think, what do you think we should do now? Like just being curious with your kid and sort of letting them have a minute to wonder how to, how to set that right or how to show empathy. Um, so how to restore what's broken, yeah, and, yeah. you know, from a really young age. And, and I think if we're paying attention to our kids, we'll see what they're up to. Sure. And, sure. and, you know, I think for talking to a lot of parents saying when, when you see that moment of, um, action, whether it's with words or indeed, we'll just use those as categories. I'm sure there's many other ways I'm not thinking about right now. Go ahead and return to play right then. Like just receive that. Don't, don't yeah. make them take the three or four other manufactured steps that we think are right. super scripted. Like see that, celebrate that. Mar- like you said, mark that. Man, I, I really love how you did X, Y, and Z for your sibling. And yeah. I can, you know, so then if I think about just me in relationship with them, I'm thinking about one of our sort of older young adults in particular. Um, you know, well, often it'll be a tech situation and it'll mm. be just an acknowledgement. Hey, I'm sorry I was, you know, grumpy in the kitchen in in some reasons why. And I, I don't, they're not excuses to me. Yeah. Like when my teenager yeah. or young adult tells me why they we're grouchy or grumpy and they're giving some reasons, I don't go, well, that's just making an excuse. Right. No, I'm like, oh, they're being that. self-reflective. Yeah. They're seeing what they what's going on. They're thinking about their own context. They're being mindful because we've modeled that. Yeah. So don't you don't have to apologize for being tired. Yeah. We can, you know, we don't have, we're not asking for um apologies within ourselves or within our family structure for feelings. We all get to have feelings. Right. So you don't have to say, I'm sorry that I was tired. You can say, I'm sorry I was snappy. I am feeling tired. And then I can say, thank you so much for that, sweetie. I love you. Can I do anything to help you? It's been a long day. Anything. So just sort of letting that be what that is. um, I I do often say, I'm so sorry that when I was mad... I yelled so loudly. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, we never want to dismiss the feeling, right? That's okay. Right. It's what we did with that. Yeah. And I would sort of say, and I do this. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. <laughs> and it just, it just slips in there. It's like, I, I'll say without catching myself, hey, you just kind of piggyback off what you said. I'm sorry when I was mad I yelled at you. I'm mad because, because. <laughs> and then I want to like say it's because you're, you're losing your mind in here and you're driving me crazy. I mean, I don't say that to them exactly, but I'm wanting to like blame shift. Yeah. They're responsible for my anger. That's not cool. Don't do that. Like, do not do that. Don't say I'm mad because of what you're doing or I'm mad because you did this or they, yeah. like you said, Chris, I loved how you said there's three things like what's going on in us, what might be going on with them. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can go, oh, I am feeling agitated because, you know, my kids are being overly, you know, 
expressive right now, or they're showing a lot of energy, or they're jumping around upstairs, and I've asked them not to, and and their actions can be bothering me, but I'm responsible for my reaction. So I don't need my kids to think that my reaction is because of them. My reaction is because I'm responsible for my reaction. Now, I can address their behavior in a different way, and you know, I can correct and support their needs, but they they shouldn't feel responsible for me losing my temper or yeah. reacting. You know, it's like the reason, yeah, we say we did something has to always be focused on what was going on inside of us. Like our reason has to be of a reaction inside of us, if you want to say it in a cute way, right? Yes. So the reason, let that be a reaction because I was tired or stressed or yeah hungry or yeah. So it's always a, not because of what you did, but because of what was going on inside of me. Yeah. For sure. Not making excuses, but just, I mean, there are just like we talk about, there's, there's reasons behind our kids. There's reasons behind my behavior too. And in fact, reframing that it is not about making an excuse. It's about finding meaning. Like I'm showing that we're human. Right. Right. I want to find meaning behind my my actions so that I can be curious about them and then yeah. meet my own needs if I need to. Like, what do I need here so that I have, you know, resilience or capacity or rest or understanding or empathy or whatever I need right now to move forward in this relationship in a way that I want to? Yeah. And, you know, it just takes me a little bit just a little detour here about apologizing and asking forgiveness. So I can't think of what book it was, but they talked about all the wrong ways people apologize. Like even to say, I'm sorry that you were mad. Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. That's a really common one. So there's all these ways that we've learned to apologize because of kind of what we were just talking about, you know, something that my ears have always been perked to and probably because forgiveness has been hard for me. I've had a lot of things to forgive and a lot of people to forgive. Um, But when I hear parents and kids, when a kid does something wrong and they say, I'm sorry, one of the responses can be, that's okay. Or another response can be immediately, I forgive you. And so again, this could be my own personal thing that's hard for me, but I think that when we teach our kids to say, sorry, like, right, what do you say when you hurt your brother or sister? And then they just know the right thing to say after that is, I'm sorry, do you forgive me? And then the other person is made to say yes. Well, I don't think forgiveness happens like that or for sure not that quickly. Or if the response is, I'm sorry, I hurt you. And the other person says, that's okay. Then we aren't allowing again, the impact Mm -hmm. of the rupture to be affecting us. And it dismisses the very thing and then catapults us to a very place that we go ahead of doing that personal and relational work between us. So it just popped up in my mind of, can we just say, I'm sorry that when I felt this way, I did or said this. And the other person to say, just simply, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's what we teach our kids. Just say, thank you. Thank you. Right. And then they can in return, apologize 
when they are ready for what they have done. And the other person can say, because, right, we don't want to say it's okay that you did that. It wasn't okay that we did that. Um, So just that just popped up on my mind when you were talking about. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's, I'm funny. I'm thinking how, what, what comes out of me when that happens with a kid? I think I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. I do think sometimes I say, I understand and I've got you. Yes. Like, I think that's maybe the same sort of thing. It's Great. like, thank yeah. you. Like, it's it's like, I understand. I can see that. I got yeah. you, you know, sort of that we're still in this together. Yes. And that there's room for that rupture, not to be okay, but not to shake the foundation of our relationship. Yeah. Like, we're, we're still connected, if you will. But I, I mean, I think thank you. It's just, I may just practice that because that's a whole lot less words, which I think my children would always appreciate. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, me too. Come on, mama. Doesn't have to be five more sentences. Thank you was enough. Um, oh, good gracious. Thank you. Um, I appreciate so that. So I'm thinking about kind of a bridge in this conversation between what Tina talked about last week and then kind of what we've all been talking about. As as we begin to sort of act as facilitators with our kids, um, I, we talked about modeling and scaffolding sort of being the, the foundation here. I think one helpful phrase Tina gave us last week was uh, when addressing a wrong with a child. Like we talked about owning our own stuff and I'm sorry that when I was mad, I did this or I'm sorry that when, you know, I, I was so sad and I did this and, and showing like no apologies for feelings, no apologies for, for being a human that has emotions, but we're modeling for them. Hey, there is a right and wrong way that we handle those emotions and process through them. And that when we need a minute, we can model taking a minute. Hey, I'm really angry right now. And I don't need to be in this situation at this moment. So I'm going to go take a second and I'm going to come right back to you or whatever. Um, the second part of that, I think is, um, one of the, one of the main things we do that's wrong, and Tanya, you talked about, is the blame shift. Like, I'm sorry that I yelled, but it's just that you guys were being so terrible <laughs> that I couldn't do yes. anything else. You let me no choice. You hear me? And so one of the things that Tina talked about was using that phrase, now you guys know it's wrong to dot, dot, dot. Like, and cutting off the corner of trying to pin them in a corner of naming their own thing, that might not be available yet in, in that brain, mm-hmm. right? But yep. saying, you know it's wrong to do this. What do you think was making you go that way? What, or what do you think you were feeling when that happened? Um, are there other kind of bullet points that we can talk through of like do's and don'ts when we're repairing or rupturing uh, with kids that we need to walk through and, and make sure that we kind of keep nailed to the, to the front of our uh, minds? I'll say one quick thing. Um, it may not be so much a do and don't, but it did come to my mind just a few minutes ago. And I think it's worth just mentioning out loud for anybody that might be experiencing this. Um, you know, I, I think that it's important for us as parents to give our children the freedom mm. to bring stuff back up with us again. Yeah. Um, even if it needs to be brought up multiple times. Um, you know, if we have done something that has been hurtful or harmful or ruptured in our children's past and they are remembering it and they are thinking yeah. about it multiple times, yeah. um, it we need to, to the best of our ability, create within ourselves the, um, the, 
the resolve, the self-assurance, the strength to hold that conversation again and again and again Mm -hmm. um, and allow our kids to keep making meaning out of it or keep hearing from us what they need to hear from us, which is maybe simply another apology even if we've apologized multiple times before, that um, I really appreciated what you said, Krista. We could probably have a whole other episode about forgiveness. Mm. That we cannot, just because we say we're sorry doesn't mean that it's all done. Yeah. That if we need to come back to something again, um, I think about different ages and stages of development. I think about you know, there have been some conversations with our kids as they've gotten older, thinking back to some things that happened when they were younger, situations. And, you know, Mo and I have, again, not making excuses, but like helping our kids make sense of what was going on in that situation or how did mom and dad, how'd that go down? Or, you know, why am I, why, when I think about that, do I still get really angry with you? Yeah. And, and, and me saying, well, this is what happened, you know, and, and this is what mom and I, you know, or dad and I did that, wasn't great in this, you know, let's just talk about that again. So allowing our kids to make meaning of situations. Um, I don't, I don't know why, but I think we feel like it's like wrong to get historical, but we mm. are our experiences. Like it's okay to go back to something and go back again and again and again. I just don't believe in like forgiveness means forgetting. Like yeah. if we say no. that we need to make sense of our past, well, so do our kids. And yeah. guys, sometimes as parents, we were part of the past. And, and guess what? If you've been parenting them for half a minute, you've hurt your kids. Like you just have. As yeah. parents, we hurt our children. Full stop. Yeah. You know, in 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 sometimes big ways and in, in lots of small ways. And so part of why I'm so passionate with with talking to parents about like figuring out that self-compassion piece is you you need to have, you've got to do that work to like not lose yourself when your kid needs to talk about it again. Like just center, be okay, tell yourself things that are true about you and then hold space for that conversation again. Um, yeah. So anyway, help, just help make a meaning. And we do have one ETC parent trainer um, that I've heard tell a story and I won't, I haven't asked permission to tell that story, but the general basis of it is sometimes with our kids, we have to apologize for things that they've experienced that are outside of our control. Yeah. And she tells a story about an, a scenario that her kid got really hurt and mom and dad couldn't do anything to make it be any different, but the kid sure. felt like it was their fault and thought it was something in their control. And they've had to revisit it multiple times. And what does it mean as a parent to say, I'm really sorry that happened. And I see how that was hard. Mm. You know, is there, and just holding that circumstances happen to our kids outside of our control and having empathy with them and yes. for them that we couldn't have protected that pain from happening. Yeah. yeah. Maybe multiple times again and again. Anyway, yeah. Krista, do you have thoughts or reflections on that or anything you would sort of add to what I'm saying? I'd be super curious. Well, I'm actually going in a little different direction connected to that. And maybe because I'm thinking about my own need to have some things um, addressed over and over again. So I'm like putting myself in that position. So I want to talk to that. Um, but let me quick say this. I, I think of, I know we're talking about parenting here, but I think about my couples who have come in and let's say that there has been 
um, behavior that has caused um, one of the partners to not trust the other person again. And what we often as therapists have to tell them because they're getting tired of explaining, like having their partner have to check their phone or check their computer or keep a calendar of where they are and what time and report in, right? Because this is part of the impact of the rupture was that I have to say, I'm sorry that you have to keep proving, because that's what it feels like, proving to your partner that you are trustworthy, right? So we can hold two things at once. You are a trustworthy person and your actions did disrupt and distort the trust. And so he or she has to keep showing that they are safe and trustworthy. So what you're saying I think within regards to parenting is by, by doing that over and over again, it lays the foundation and the message. I am safe. I am trustworthy. And you can keep coming back to me every time. So right. Establishing that foundation. And it does stink to have to do that. It gets exhausting to have to do that because in our minds, again, I think partly in the culture we were raised as adults, partly in the Christian culture, once it's done, be done with it. Just right. move on because, right, pick up. Okay, so that's one area I'm thinking of why we are, why we would need to do, Tana, what you're saying over and over again. Yes. Real quick, I just want to say and then move on that we've used those exact words, Krista. So thank you for like mm. summarizing that. When we've had to sort of have those conversations, Mo and I might pull back and be like, like this is an impact of what we've done in the past that didn't create felt safety or whatever. So like just even seeing it framed up as this is a moment to sort of continue to build trust and repair. I appreciate that. So that's exactly what it is, Carissa. Well, and let me just say this too. What I love about what we're talking about is that we are then like from the long view, creating a foundation in our kids to one day be able to hold that same space for either their kids or somebody else in relationship when they inevitably create harm in someone else and it brings repetitious consequences with it, right? Um, And so I think that all of this is is full circle and I, I love that for that reason. Yeah. It's for the future also with yeah. other relationships. Yeah. Okay. So maybe Tana, because you know me, you can summarize what I'm going to say in a really great way and link it to what we're talking about. But as you were talking, I was just thinking about the process I've had to move through with my birth parents. So being adopted um, from Korea was placed in an orphanage, was adopted at five months. So a lot of people would say, oh, Krista, you have no impact of those early choices and people, right? We all know that's not true. Um, however, mysteriously, and, and then biologically, we know what happens. But let's say there's somebody out there that doesn't fully understand that or haven't been exposed to understanding the impact of that. So I remember um, one of my... Uh, most significant emotional experience in this process with birth parents was I was receiving um, therapy. It was really unique therapy. It was occupational therapy on the reflexes of my body while she was kind of talking me through um, what had happened. And she was doing this body work. I was laying on a table and she says, Krista, can you just picture whatever you think your birth parents might look like and just tell them I understand why you did what you did and I forgive you. 
And I was like, no, no, actually, (laughs) I can't. And, you know, I can be a little blunt. So it wasn't like a sweet, no, I can't. It was, no, I can't. And she's like, why not? And I said, because I don't know that. Yeah. Right? I was never told that. There wasn't a love letter in my records that said, we really wanted to keep you, but for this reason, we couldn't. And we love you. So I don't have any of that information to even give me a clue that what they did was understandable. So I was like, no, I can't. And fortunately, she said, okay, that's okay. What could you say to them? And I start bawling, laying on that table. She's doing reflex work on my body. And I just said, all I can say to them is... I can release you. I don't get the understanding, but I can release my hands from around your neck from pain for whatever reason, good or bad, understandable or inconceivable, why you didn't choose to keep me. And so going forward in my relationships, whether it was my thought about my birth parents or a friend leaving, quote, leaving me emotionally or like in our friendship, I will tell you that those thoughts and feelings come back. And I'm sure my husband has gotten tired of reminding me, Krissa, you're worth staying in relationship for. Hmm. And so I, all I just was connecting was that repetitive need and longing inside of me to keep hearing something comforting, something reassuring that I was worth mending and repairing with. So even though I probably, I'm like 99.9% sure that I won't ever get that from the actual people who made the choice who hurt me, I still need that repetitive assurance from the people, my partner, my friends in my life. And so I guess what I resonated with, Tana, as you're saying that that need, because it feels so primal and it feels like it comes sometimes from such a young place yet of, mm-hmm. hey, girl, and it doesn't have to be dramatic. It's no. just, hey, girl, I am here and mm-hmm. you're, and I'm going to keep being a voice that says, I'm so sad that that happened with you because you didn't deserve it. And I have this really big thing, if I could just go here a minute, with people actually saying I'm sorry for something that they didn't do to hurt me. And I think this is a universe, or universal in our culture, colloquialism, that we say I'm sorry when a parent died, when something hard happens. We say, I'm so sorry you lost that person. And probably because I'm still, I'll be honest about this, probably because I'm still longing some really authentic apologies. I'm sorry is a hard phrase for me to hear when you're talking about really what you're saying. What I want you to say is I actually feel bad or sad or mad with you because that person didn't do what you hoped they would do. I don't need to hear I'm sorry from you if you weren't the person who hurt me. I need to have you feel that feeling with me and that felt I want to feel felt 
I don't want you to hear it. Because I think that, let's say, when someone's parent dies, it's just happened and everyone's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. What I think we're really trying to say is, I feel so badly about your loss and what you're going through. So my husband, you know, debates about this with me. He's like, Chris, are people just use that saying because it's what we say? And I'm like, well, I just don't think it means squat. Like, why are they being sorry? (laughs) So anyway, I just wanted to go off on that little tangent because what you're saying, Tana, is our kids might need to hear that we are feeling with them over and over again. And that Mm -hmm. is a gift that we can give Mm -hmm. them to be a consistent, a consistent voice that says, I hear you and I see how that made you feel. Right. Oh, okay. I'm thinking about you. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe we need to like, uh, I don't know, have a, like a, whole, uh, let's redeem. I'm sorry. Let's figure Let's yes. figure out. Maybe not redeem, <laughs> but let's like, I don't know. Uh, we're going to walk through and say something better than I'm sorry. Um, yes. we'll title the episode. You cannot say I'm sorry anymore. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, well, it feels dismissive. I mean, that's what it, it feels. Yeah. It's re- it can be, it can just be received as dismissive. So I, I am totally with you on that yeah. for sure. Yeah. There was, I remember a situation where, um, one of our kiddos, and I won't go into all the details, but something had happened out with some other kids and a kid was kind of fussy at them and um, picked on them a little bit. And Mo was tucking that kid in bed that night. And, you know, I I think he said something like, man, that really makes me mad for you that that Mm. happened. You know, and if I was there, I would have told that kid to leave my kid alone. And, you know, the the kiddo was like, you were, you'd be, you're mad about that. Mm. And and Mo's like, that makes me mad that that happened to you. And he tucked that kid in bed and probably an hour later, the, the, the kiddo came back out, hadn't fallen asleep yet and said, dad, did it really make you mad? Or were you just saying that? Oh. And Mo said, it really made me mad. Yeah. And, the, you know, the kid went to bed and Mo and I were like, they, what they needed was to feel felt and for somebody yes. to feel something about yeah. their experience. Not, I mean, we were sad it happened, but we yes. weren't sorry. We didn't, we didn't make it happen. Yeah. So I think that's so interesting, Krista. And even if we're thinking about repairing, like in back to that, like we can't repair something we didn't, we aren't responsible for. Yeah. But we can be with you. Yes. In the pain and in the loss and right. in the sadness. Yeah. Right. And, and the, allow us and the, to do it. Yes, for sure. And that child coming back to you, if it's something that you had done, that they're, they keep looking for something from you. By just responding to them with, like, right, we're revisiting this again, but that that consistency to do that as they as it as they need it sends mm-hmm. that message, and but comes from a belief. It just means that it did affect them that deeply that they would need to return for something more. And so, I think if we can look at it from the framework of it just is telling me good information. It's still affecting them and they still need something from me to feel connected. 
That's all it is. It's not because we keep being a bad parent. It's not because they don't have the ability to get over it. It just means that experience affected them that deeply. And it's okay. Because I think us adults have experienced that still affect us. Yes. And to say, you know, from a parent to a child, I mean, I have started saying, thank you so much for trusting me enough to bring that back up again. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk through that again. And when we're done, say, if you think about this again and you want to come back and talk about it some more, I'm right here. Yeah. Yeah. So even thinking that like me, that one more conversation may not be all it means, all it takes to make sense of that. I mean, that, that has been some of the most trusting Mm, space, um, which is making meaning. So I, I, yeah, I appreciate you thinking about that. Yeah, it's it's good. Well, I did kind of land, you know, I love alliteration. And so when I was thinking about rupture and repair, here's the G word that I was thinking. So repair almost always includes, and I just, let's call the rupture the gruesome part. Okay. So it includes something gruesome, but it also involves the grief Mm -hmm. of having been affected or having affected someone But then there's this grace that is not required of us, but I think it is offered to us. And then I believe that there's gratitude as we name the gift in it. So there's gruesome, there's grief, there's grace, there's gratitude, and then it all becomes a gift that going through that process. That is so, I I can't think of a better place for us to kind of tie the bow on this conversation for today than that right there. Thank you so much for that. Um, And thank you for joining us. And and, I mean, this has been awesome. And I think we went to so many places that I don't even know that we, Tana and I expected we were going to go when we started this conversation. And so, gosh, it's so good. Um, Carissa, thank you for this. We're going to link your social networks in the um, show notes again so people can find you and find your work. Um, And we will uh, talk to you really soon. Thank you so much. You're so so welcome. Well, a big thanks to Carissa and Tana. Um, I mean, if, if you've been in this world um, of connected parenting or, or conscious parenting, gentle parenting, however you put it, for a while, you know this is one of the most um, core uh, principles that exist within this framework. The idea that uh, when we rupture something within a relationship, especially with our kids, we are going to repair that. And the, the transformation that begins to happen in that relationship, when things are properly repaired after a rupture, uh, can be massive. And so we want to just remind all of you, none of us are perfect. All of us are breaking stuff. All of us are experiencing rupture in relationships. And uh, what will begin to allow us to heal in a way that is um, long-lasting and, and that is whole is when we take the time and the humility to repair. So uh, for Carissa Woodwhite, for Tana, for Mo, for everybody at the ETC team, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the ETC podcast.